Well, once again, welcome. And I want to start by asking you a, a question. Uh, what do Bill and Melinda Gates need? <laughs> I hear a lot of people laughing like they don't need anything. You know, I was reading a book a while back and, and the author happened to be in a restaurant and saw them sitting in the corner booth and waved over his waitress and said, would you ask if I could buy them dinner? And uh, the waitress went and, and asked and, and they said, as long as there's no strings attached. You know, sometimes people will do something and expect something in return. And, and he made the point, he said, you know, they didn't really need me to buy them dinner. <laughs> Absolutely. But they need love. They need acceptance. They need meaningful relationships. They need encouragement. And they need their lives to matter. Every person wants their life to matter, to make a difference, to be significant. Right? And it doesn't matter the amount of wealth that you have, your ethnicity, your community, your origin, society. None of that really matters. Everybody is looking for a life of significance. Everybody wants to be great. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, whoever wants to be great among you. Now, you might think that Jesus, when the disciples were, the disciples were arguing, who was the greatest? And you might think Jesus would say to them, look, you need to be humble. You, know, you, need to, you, you, you just need to be humble and not think about yourself. But, but what Jesus did was the opposite. He encouraged them to be great. He didn't say, you shouldn't think about that. You shouldn't want to be great. You just need to be humble. When the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. In fact, he said about himself, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, now, literally, the thing that makes a person great is not how many people serve them, but how many people they serve. It's service that makes a person great. Right? Uh, many believe that their life is meaningless, that they have no purpose. But that could change today. Right? And, and really, today is going to be kind of like a call to action. And there is no excuse at all, right? Because greatness has nothing to do with your heredity. You can be born low, but live high. Or be born high and live low. Right? Has nothing to do with that, right? So often what people are doing today is many of them are living vicariously through, through television. Right? You know, they create a crisis, in 30 minutes, 50 minutes, whatever the program is, they create a crisis or a need. And then they, they, they find someone for us to relate to, the hero, who solves the problem, takes care of the crisis, and then we feel like we accomplished something. <laughs> and we go to bed content because, wow, something happened and I was a part. <laughs> but there never was a crisis and you weren't a part anyway. All right? And others, they're trying to fill their life by filling their life, right? And making it about me, right? But Jesus said, whoever would come after me, he said, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. He said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you will 
find your life. And so many people, we think, well, it's just taking care of myself, right? You know, I, 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 need, I need relaxation. I need entertainment. I need to do this. I need to do that. And we're trying to fill our lives with all of these things. But the truth is, Jesus said, yeah, you're filling your life. You're finding your life, but you're going to lose it. He said, but if you'll lose it for me, he said, then you'll find it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are all his workmanship, his masterwork, work of art, created in Christ Jesus, born anew, spiritually transformed, right? Listen, for good works, for good works, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set or prepared that we should walk in them. So get this, God's plan for every person that's a believer is that you do good works. In fact, God said, you know, you need to let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? So, so these good works, it's not supposed to be about you. It's supposed to point to God. That's why, why you've heard me say this before, that social justice without spiritual justice is no justice at all. It's injustice. Right? And there always has to be the gospel. It's got to be pointing to our Father who is in heaven. Let me say this. Faith is not what you believe. Faith is what you do with what you believe. Faith is an act. Faith without works, it's, it's what you believe. And if it doesn't cause you to do something, it is dead. It's dead. Napoleon Hill said it this way. You must get involved to have impact. No one is impressed with the win-loss record of a referee. You've got to be involved to have impact. Let me say it this way. You have got to be involved to have faith. Because what you believe without works, it is dead. You know, we're called to serve. We're called to be servants. We're supposed to be helping, to be lifting, to be encouraging, to pray for people, to add value, to stand with them, to, to step in and to glorify our Father who is in heaven. You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to those who are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, so Jesus said people should be able to see your good works, and your good works should point them towards your Father who is in heaven. Now, let me say this, because it may sound like I, I don't like volunteers. I love volunteers. I'll take every volunteer that comes, all right? But volunteering is secular. It is a secular word. Right? And we've taken it in the church, and it's a good place to start, but it is a bad place to end. Right? Because we're not called to be volunteers, we're called to be servants. See, someday you want to stand before God, and you want him to say, well done, thou good and faithful volunteer. No, you want him to say, well done, listen, you good and faithful servant. Servant. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big difference between servanthood and volunteering. You know, servanthood is always about God. But volunteering is about me. 
It's about, well, listen, what I do. This is what I do. Look at me. Look at me. All right. Servanthood is about sacrifice. Volunteering is about convenience. People volunteer when it's convenient. Hey, we can't make it today. We're going golfing. We're going fishing. It's not convenient. You know, but when you're a servant, it doesn't matter if it's convenient or if it's inconvenient. In fact, maybe maybe later this summer we'll, we'll do something on the differences between the two. Jesus said, for the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Now, 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 now I, tra- I travel almost weekly in them different churches. And let, let me tell you something I've never heard one pastor ever say. We just have too many people around here serving. <laughs> never. In fact, Jesus made this statement. He's he like looking into the future and saying, look, there's always going to be more to do. You could always do more and do it better if you had more people that would serve. Right? But he's saying there's going to be a shortage of people that want to serve because most people don't want to serve. They want to be served. Even, even This is true. Even in church today, most people, they, they come just to be served. Right? They're consumers. They come with a consumer mentality. Right? But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to come with a servant mentality right? to lay down our life to add value, to give, to help, to encourage others. So Jesus said, hey, there's always going to be more labor. There's always going to be more work that can be done and that can be done better. He said, but you're always going to have a shortage of people that are willing to serve. And again, people try to fulfill their life with all sorts of things that are self-serving. But what fulfills your life, Jesus said, is when you lay down your life. Several years ago, there was a documentary about Michael Weiser and Larry Trapp. They both lived in the same city of Lincoln, Nebraska. It took place in the early 1990s. Right? As Michael saw different people moving into the community, different ethnicities, he was excited. And he put together a welcome basket. And whenever someone from a different ethnicity moved in the community, he would go to their house and welcome them. Well, Larry, on the meantime, in the meantime, is the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And he is making threatening phone calls to every non-Caucasian family that is moving into the community and telling them, if you do not move out, I will burn your house down. We are coming, the Ku Klux Klan, we are coming after you. And you've got 30 days to move. Right. Well, When Larry found out that Michael was welcoming everybody, he called him up and gave him a threatening phone call. Threatened to kill him. Well, well, Michael knew it was Larry. So he did a little bit of investigating and and found out that he had diabetes, was in a wheelchair. And so he called him up. And and, and he said, Larry, this is Michael. You called me a while back. He said, uh, I, I want you to know I've got a van with wheelchair access. He said, and, and if you need a ride to the post office, to the grocery store, whatever you need, you need to pick up, long, uh, pick up dry cleaning, whatever it is, you just call me. He said, and I will take you free of charge. Well, he's like dumbfounded. He didn't know what to say. What, what do you say to that? Well, he didn't do anything for a couple of weeks, but, but he needed a ride to the grocery store. So, so he calls up Michael. Michael comes and picks him up. They talk. 
About a week later, he calls again. Need to go to the post office, need to go to the dry cleaners, need to go to the grocery store. Make a long story short, <clears throat> they keep doing this. And eventually, Larry renounces his position with the new Ku Klux Klan, renounces everything that he'd done, apologized to every person that he had threatened. And when his diabetes became so debilitating that, that he needed permanent care, get this Michael, brought him into his house, and he lived at his house, and he took care of him for the last two years of his life. Let me tell you something. You may never hear of Michael, but Michael was a servant. He was a servant. And you may not know it, and the world may not say it, but let me tell you something. He's great. Because what makes you great is not satisfying all your needs and being served, but what makes you great, Jesus said, is when you serve others. When you serve others. And that's what he did. You know, we're called to serve. We're called to lift, to help, to encourage, to believe in other people, to pray for them, to stand with them, to, to add value. I, I noticed as I was in Barnes and Nobles, kind of like the promised land, Barnes and Nobles, you know, my, my favorite store. And I, I walked by the magazine rack. I noticed that there was an article. I, I grabbed the magazine and, and took a look. A girl named Michelle Carter had texted her boyfriend and encouraged him to commit suicide. You've probably seen it on the news. She was found guilty of manslaughter. They said that, that what she did, th those texts that she sent him, pushed him over the line, and he committed suicide. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. You know, just like you can say somebody that can push somebody over the line the wrong way, how many of you know you could say something to push somebody over the line the right way, to build them up and to encourage them, right, to add value to them? You know, I mentioned greatness is never inherited, and it has nothing to do with your income. If it did, everybody in the mafia would be great. Right? It has nothing to do, nothing. See, there, there are people that actually believe that, that their net worth and their self-worth are somehow related. But they're not in any way connected at all. And greatness is not talent. Because you're, you're good at acting or, or you, you, you're, you're an excellent athlete of some type. Right? That doesn't make you great. Or if you have a particular skill in business, that alone, that, that will not make you great. You know, let, let, let's find out, are, are you a good spouse? Are you a good parent? Um, it was in February of 2010. News came out that kind of shocked the sports fans everywhere. The golf legend Tiger Woods wasn't as squeaky clean after all as everybody thought. You know, his reputation as an athlete, as a husband, as a father, they all went south. You know, he was later forced to confess that he had multiple affairs with several women. Uh, and it, it ended up that this person who people so admired was living a playboy lifestyle. He later shared how he had left the values that he'd been taught. He felt that he was above them. You know, and he admitted that he was wrong. His fame and talent had taken him to a place that he had never been before. And he had no GPS for his lifestyle. The compass his father had given him, he said, well, I lost it. And this left him to do whatever he felt was right. 
whatever he thought was convenient in the moment. You know, you, you can get in a place where you think that whatever is self-serving is the right thing to do. But listen, anytime that your influence and your opportunities become greater than your character, there will be an implosion. There will be an implosion when that happens. Right? Greatness isn't popularity. You can have two million friends on Facebook. Does not make you right. You can have all the likes in the world and all the Twitter followers, right? But that doesn't make you great. And greatness is never cheap. It always costs you time, energy, sacrifice, resources, going the second mile, doing what others are not willing to do, breaking away from the norms and expectations of society, and breaking away from sometimes what is convenient to do. What's convenient? You know, faithfulness and convenience, <laughs> they don't live together. They, 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 they do not. Right? And it's not immediate. Right? Greatness isn't immediate. It says about David that his house grew greater and greater. It talks about Abraham when he was well advanced in years. Right? that the Lord had blessed him in all things. I'm saying it this way. You can't pray one time at the altar, and now you're a great Christian. Right? You, you don't serve one time, and, and all of a sudden now you're a servant. Right? It takes time. Servanthood is a decision. Right? It is a decision that, that where you're going to show up when the flesh wants to play. You're, you're, you're going to do things that are inconvenient. Right? To be a servant that's what you do. You do the inconvenient thing. Right? Uh, my, my son Samuel had several friends, and they were, they were up camping. They, they, most of them showed up on a Thursday night, and they, they were camping Friday and Saturday. And, and uh, they said, what are, what, what are we going to do? And every one of them said, hey, we're leaving today because we are serving at church tomorrow. It would have been convenient and fun to stay. But that's not what greatness is. That's not what servanthood is. Servanthood is serving even when it's inconvenient. That's why greatness is not common. Because we live in a society that wants to take care of itself and only wants to do things when they're convenient. But just a, just a couple of thoughts about becoming great. Right? Number one is get on track and don't look back. Get on track and don't look back. No matter where you are today, it doesn't matter. What you need to do today is get on track. You know, 3,000 years after King David's dead, Hollywood, and Bash, and, and Hollywood does a movie about David, and they call it David and Bathsheba. 3,000 years after he's dead, all that they do is look at the one time that he missed it. And, and do you know that, that, that that's really what the, the, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And he will always bring up the thing where you missed it. Right? But what you need to do is you need to get on track and then don't look back. Yes, David and, and Bathsheba, they committed adultery. But do you, re, do you remember reading the book of Proverbs? Solomon wrote that and he said that his father and his mother taught him. And I don't know if you've read chapter five or after chapter seven, but they talk about how to avoid 
adultery and immorality. And who taught them? David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba, did they blow it? They blew it. But they've been teaching people how to do it right for 3,000 years. Right? You know, you just need to get on track and then not look back. The righteous man may fall seven times, but rises again. You know, the righteous thing to do when you get knocked down is get back up. The unrighteous thing to do is say, well, it was me. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat worms. You know, and a lot of people live in that eat worm condition. Right? Don't do it. You know, the, the, how many know Peter denied the Lord? But, but 50 days later, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And this is what he said. And you denied the Lord, the Holy One, the just. Well, so did he. But you know what? He repented. He got on track. And he wasn't looking back. He's just going ahead. You know, as long as you're looking back at yesterday, you will never grab hold of what God has for you today. Several years ago, we were, we were still, over 10 years ago, we were still in the old building. After a service, as normal, I stick around up front, talk to people, pray with people. And, and there was a guy who came up and he said, Pastor, you've got to help me. And I said, well, what's the deal? He said, my wife is divorcing me. So I said, what did you do? <laughs> he said, nothing. And I thought, yeah. Just doesn't have a clue. Now, listen, ladies, you think we know? We don't have a clue. We are that dumb. We really are, all right? And he said, I said, what did you do? He said, no, nothing. Nothing I know of. And, and, and uh, his wife was just standing a few feet away. He, says, he said, come here, come here. And, and I said to her, I said, are you divorcing him? She says, oh, yeah. And she said, I said, why? She said, he's a man. And I hate him. And I said, but you hate men? She said, I hate you. Now, my lightning fast mind put this together pretty quick. <laughs> At some point, some man in her past had hurt her. How I many can follow that? So I said, some man hurt you? No, no. And I said, well, why do you hate men? But they're just animals. And well, why, why do you hate me? You're just a man. Something happened, you know, we, finally, finally, just, it comes out. She, she, was, she was 12 years old. A member of her family began to molest her sexually, and it continued until she was 18 and left home. And she looked me right in the eye, and she said, if I could, I would kill him. I believed her. I feared for my life. <laughs> so I said to her, I said, do, do, do you know, I said, you cannot Grab hold of what God has for you today because your hands are full of yesterday. And as long as your hands are full of yesterday, all the good that God has for you today, you will never be able to grab hold of it. That's why Paul said this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I reach for those things that are ahead. And you can never reach for what's ahead of you if you do not let go of what's behind you. You know, until you forgive, you will forever be a victim. Get that? You will be a victim of what happened to you until you forgive. But once you forgive, you are no longer the victim. You get set free. That thing no longer holds on to you. 
So I talked to her about forgiveness, how necessary it was, and how Jesus said, you, every time you pray, you forgive. Whoever's done you whatever wrong they've done. And, and she said, I can't. And I said, you could. And making a long story short, she agrees to pray. So I grab her hands, and I'm going to lead her in this prayer. And I'm, I'm praying, and I'm leading her in this prayer. Lord, I forgive this person. And, and, and I'm, you know, Jesus said to watch and pray, so I watched. I didn't close my eyes. I'm watching She's like, oh, I dare you, that person. I mean, there's hate in her eyes. And, and I remember we said amen, and I remember her walking away, and I remember this thought. I thought, if I ever prayed a prayer with anyone that did not work, that was the one. Because there's just no way. It's six, eight weeks later. I'm preaching. And uh, we had a, a far set of pews over, over there, about six, seven rows back. There's this couple. They're still together. And, and I noticed that she has got her arm around him. I preached a little more over there, took a look. Yep, that's really what I saw. <laughs> I keep preaching. I look back over there. She is whispering in his ear and giving him a kiss in church. I'm like, get a room. You know? <laughs> so, so this is what she said. She said, she said, I did what you said. I prayed that prayer, and I kept praying for that person. She said, and she said, something inside me changed. The way I saw my husband, the way I saw my kids, the way I saw men, the way I saw life. She said, everything changed. Everything changed. You know, when you forgive, you're not a victim any longer. Right? You are set free. But you can't hold, grab hold of what God has for you today if your hands are full of the hurt and the pain of yesterday. Number two out of ten points, this is all Father, we're going to get. <laughs> all right. It's a long introduction. When you get hit, don't quit. When you get hit, don't quit. Everybody, listen, everybody gets hit. Everybody gets knocked down. And I believe this. I believe everybody is fighting a great battle. Everybody's fighting a battle. And, and, and the thing is, you, 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 you can't get hit and call it quits. I remember King David, he didn't call it quits. He got back up. Peter got back up. Now, Judas didn't get, Peter denied the Lord, Judas denied the Lord. Peter repented, got back up. Judas had a pity party, ate worms, went out and hung himself. You know, if you feel like hanging yourself, you probably, there's some forgiveness that you need to do. Others and yourself. Others and yourself. Right? Uh, let, let, me just, let me just read a, a little bit of a person's life here. Some of you will, will grab hold of it very soon. Uh, he was abused by his father when he was young. His mother died when he was nine. His sister at the age of 16. He failed in business at age 22, tried to get involved in politics at 23, defeated, failed in business again at age 24, was elected to the legislature at age 25. His sweetheart died when he was 26, and he had a total, complete nervous breakdown. His friends had him on 24-hour suicide watch because they were Positive. If they left him alone, he would commit suicide. He would kill himself. 
At 24, he was defeated again in politics, and at 31 and at 34. At 37, he was elected to Congress. Defeated at age 39, defeated at age 46, defeated at age 47, defeated at age 49, and elected President of the United States at age 51, Abraham Lincoln. He had a lot of times he got knocked down and got down, knocked down real seriously, where a lot of people would just give up, but he didn't give up, which made him a great president in the Civil War when the North was constantly getting knocked down. He just would not give up. The righteous may fall seven times, but rises again. When you get knocked down, the righteous thing to do is not to stay down. The righteous thing to do is to get back up. The righteous thing to do is not run from God, but run to God. Ask for forgiveness. He is waiting with open arms. See, the devil has a counterfeit of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear and says, God loves you. God's waiting for you. Come back to God. Conviction. The devil's counterfeit is condemnation. And he says, I can't believe you're a Christian. God's mad at you. God doesn't love you anymore. God's not going to answer your prayers. God's not going to use you. God has put you on the shelf. That's the devil. The Holy Spirit says, God loves you. Jesus paid for your sin. And he is waiting for you. Come and be reconciled to God. All right, would you please bow your heads? For just a moment. You're here today, but not where you should be with God. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has a plan for your life where you will be great, where you will be great. But if you're here today and you're not right with God, you're away from God, or you don't know where you stand with God, and you say, I want to get right with God today, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I say three, would you please lift your hand? We're going to pray, and God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. For some of you, it's going to be the first day in decades that you have not been a victim. Some of you, you've been waiting for years to do this. Today is the day of salvation. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved, to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm coming to Jesus. I'm giving him all of my heart, all of my life, holding nothing back. Two, get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, Jesus is going to come into my heart by faith. He is going to blood wash me from my sin, make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family. I'm going to begin to live the abundant life that he has for me. And I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three. Lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. I'm not right. I'm not right. I want to get right today. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you in the balcony. God bless you. God bless you. Up front here, God bless you. Thank you. All right. Would everyone please just take one hand, put it over your heart, and lift your other hand towards heaven. We're going to pray with everyone that just lifted their hand. Make these words your own. Say, oh, God. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. 
In my past, it's gone. But I'm a part of your family. Today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen.